0: we really appreciate it and we really you probably can't imagine how much we brag on this church all the people in this church and we tell people we have a church full of really good people and anybody who knows our church says we know <laughs> we know you do and so we're real thankful for that and you know as we were talking today and the announcements were made and you know we saw three dedicated servants move from the earth to go be with God and Royce Baron and uh, John of course and um, Carl. Carl yeah Carl Coates he uh, brave fight that he put up for a long time and Paul and Donna You know, we're right there to help their children and to help Carl. And, you know, you think about that, and it's sad, of course, to watch somebody die and to have them leave us. But, you know, really, that's there going on ahead of us, and that's where we all want to go. You know, so they've reached the, the reward for their faith. They had trusted in Christ all to the very end, and now they're in paradise they're in the present heaven at this time waiting and they're all waiting for us to come up at the end you know when we get get to go to the new earth and have eternal life on a new earth with redeemed bodies and so as sad as it is also it's an encouragement that they are going and they made it to where we want to go Um. Let me pray now before we open the scriptures. Father, we just thank you for knowing these great servants, these faithful people who have finished their journey according to your plan. And Lord, we thank you for letting us have a part in their lives. And as they gave us, they, they became good examples for us. As we continue on, on this earth that is difficult and sin-laden, Lord, we we just long for the time to be with you and to be together again on the new earth. And so, Father, we uh, praise you for your plan and your plan of salvation and for taking care of our loved ones like that. So, Father, uh, we, we ask that you would open our eyes to what's in your word, and what we can do as far as living here on this earth. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Excuse me. You know, we've been talking about, you know, people passing, but now we have a job to do here. We have to be, continue to be faithful here. And, you know, recently in our church, we've been talking about, kind of organizing a little bit, you know, at a small church, things just kind of get done, but then there are times when you have to really plan it out, and we've got things planned out, not, not that we never have anything planned out, but it's more relaxed in a smaller church, and so we've been talking about recently, a couple of people have really led this, um, <clears throat> you know, this, this pathway. ...to kind of develop an organizational structure, and we've been talking about it, and it's back there on that wall... ...that you can go back and look and see what needs to be done. And I think, you know, as we look into this organizational structure that, so that we can be doing the things that we need to do... ...and things don't slip, you know, along the wayside without, you know, nobody doing them... ...but we want to get things accomplished that we need to be doing as a church... To help us all grow in the Lord and to please the Lord and to help others. And in so doing, of course, we would like to work smarter and not just harder, right? You know, but also, <clears throat> excuse me. what's real important in a church is we want to work in harmony. We want to work together with each other using our gifts. And we want to avoid the common problems that arise when human beings work together. And what, that's a part of being wise and, and being working smarter instead of harder. And following that line of thinking, I believe I have run across a key passage of the Bible that will help us lay the best groundwork for this task as we move more into this organizational part. It's in the New Testament book of Romans, and it's chapter 12. Now, this passage is going to tell us the best way we can work together to do the things we need to do to honor the Lord as a church. And we know that there are a lot of how-to books out there in the marketplace to help companies run more efficiently. And I know many of those books have good ideas from successful people. But Romans 12 is going to go beyond just good advice for the workplace. So I'd like you to look with me at Romans chapter 12. We'll start with the first two verses, and they give us the foundation of church people working together. So Romans 12, in the first two verses, they say, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, and that's what Paul's been talking about for the first 11 chapters, God's wonderful mercy that saved us or gave us salvation. In view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, and you know there's reference to the Old Testament sacrifices where you laid the animal on the altar and that animal was sacrificed to give honor to the Lord. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So, what is going on here? Paul says, in view of God's mercy... We're supposed to offer our bodies, that means ourselves, as living sacrifices, kind of like we're laying ourselves on the altar, right? Holy and pleasing to God. That's our lifestyle, as we offer our bodies to God. Now, what's that all about? Well, we're talking about how we can work together as the body of Christ. He's laying the groundwork for us to be able to work together. And he's basically saying, because of what God has done for us, we should be willing to do this for him. And he says, because of God's mercy that he has shown us. You know, when someone takes mercy on you or on us, it's because we were in such a poor state that we had to have some help. We were helpless, and so someone has mercy on us in order to help us. Mercy is when someone takes pity on our helpless estate and rescues us from some kind of disaster or trouble. And that is the condition of every human being because of sin. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so we are all lost as human beings, sinful human beings. But the Bible also says that God, in His rich mercy, sent His Son to pay the penalty for our sins so that we could live forever with God. And anyone who will come to God and repent of their sins, turn to Jesus Christ for forgiveness, can have eternal life because Jesus poured out His life on the cross so that we could have eternal life with Him after we die. And that is why Paul says in light of God's mercy that he was willing to have his sinless son take the punishment for our sins. In light of that great act of love, we should be willing to lay down our lives to serve him. And when we commit ourselves to following and obeying Christ as our Savior, then he says... That is true and proper worship. He sacrificed his life for our forgiveness and to bring us salvation, and we in turn commit our lives to serving him. And that is true worship. Then, he says, don't let ourselves be conformed to this world's pattern." but we should be transformed by the renewing of our minds, and that's changing the way we think. Now, I don't know if anyone here ever had a creepy crawly set when you were younger. They were way back when I was younger. But you know, you have these molds, and they have all kinds of creepy crawly creatures different kinds of different molds and you pour the goop into the mold and you stick it into the little oven that comes with the set and then it kind of it, it firms up it's like a rubbery little uh creature like you know uh, yeah cricket centipede we got lots of crickets here we don't need any of that dale johnson knows that but anyway, Paul is saying, don't allow the world or society you know, to pour you into their mold that they've invented for you. Don't allow society to conform you to its values. And they want you to because that's how they make money and that's how they feel good about themselves. Like, they don't allow society, especially ours, to conform us into a desire to just make money to just have so much money or a desire to be celebrated by others because we see others that are celebrated and it looks so inviting, so desirable, or falling into a me-first attitude that the commercials, you know, invite us to jump into, or having an attitude of disrespect toward those who don't have as much, looking down on others. ...or being led to deny basic truths of humanity... ...because of some latest fad that has nothing to do with reality. Don't let society conform us into those wrong ways of thinking. Don't allow yourself to be carried along in some societal current... ...that is contrary to the word of God... ...or even in denial of God's existence. But instead... Allow yourself to be transformed. That's becoming something new. Conformed means to be squeezed into a mold. Transformed is to be moved to a new way of thinking. Allow yourself to be transformed by the renewing of our minds through God's Word filling our minds because as we turn to Christ, we have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit was responsible for the Word of God. And so as God's Word enters into our mind and our being the holy spirit can help us understand that and it's not a, it's not all at once it's just over time as as he helps us even our humanity to to understand god's word filling our minds a consistent prayer time valuable christian friendships be transformed into honest respectful generous kindness, a love for God. You know, when I became a Christian as a young adult, I had come out of a real me-first lifestyle. But the guy who led me to the Lord introduced me to a whole new set of friends. And it was an amazingly immediate switch because, because of my life circumstances, me, I, and my friends were just kind of like Separated, going different ways, just as a matter of life. And all of a sudden, it was just like overnight. It was basically, literally overnight. I was involved in Bible studies, going to good churches, going to Christian seminars, listening to Christian music. All these things I had scoffed at before. And now I was involved in them totally with these new friends that I had. And my mind was being slowly transformed. It was being renewed. And at the same time, I was away from those old influences to a large degree. And what a difference that made in my life. And I know some people have a whole lot of trouble because they get saved and then they stay in the same place. But God's mercy allowed me, and I didn't even plan it, it just allowed me to move to a whole new place. And then at the end of verse 2, it says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. What Paul is referring to is that when our minds are transformed into God's values, thinking God's way, then we're able to clearly see right from wrong. God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. When we are squeezed into the world's mold and we live in that space, We're just all surrounded by selfishness and lying and immorality and cursing. And so he says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And that's the basis for a thriving church family. If each one of us offers our body as a living sacrifice and our minds are transformed, then we know how to work together because we're working by God's values. If we're willing to turn our lives over to serving God and our minds are transformed, we'll be able to do a great work for God. Now I want you to watch in verses 3 through 8 how it relates to working in a church. Paul says, By the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, sensible, reasonable, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members are, you know, your arms, your head, your legs, all the parts of your body, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So in thankfulness to God's mercy in Christ that saved us from an eternal hell, we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to God. And that is the foundation. We surrender ourselves to God. Then as surrendered vessels to be used by God, Paul says, don't have an overinflated view of yourself, but think with sober judgment sober judgment means to measure your abilities according to reality according to God's gifts and according to reality according to reasonableness and sensibleness don't take on something that you have no business trying to take on according to how God has gifted you and your abilities have you ever seen someone trying to fill a position maybe lead a work project that you're involved in and they or clearly not gifted or trained to do that properly? <clears throat> Doesn't everyone working under that person suffer? Because that person is not really thinking soberly. Paul is telling the Christians in Rome to think reasonably, sensibly. How has God gifted you? What are your abilities? Are you able to take on this task without hurting everybody else? <laughs> It seems to be here that some of these Christians in the church in Rome were trying to do things or perhaps lead ministries or exercise gifts that were way out of what God had given them as gifts. Or maybe in a whole other area than what God had gifted them. And it seems that in their thinking, more highly of themselves than they ought, as Paul says, they were causing trouble in the church. So, you know, you can be in a church where everybody is coming to worship God, but if we have things to do and we're not thinking sensibly or reasonably, we could cause trouble and cause a lot of friction in the church. And I'm thinking because of reading the Bible and knowing people, it could be that some were seeing people use their gifts and receiving a lot of attention and, and praise and they wanted that. They would like that kind of recognition. So they might say that they could do something like that or get into a leadership position that they had no business being into, way beyond their ability. And then when things like that happen, things go haywire, people get upset, and the ministry of the church suffers. It causes rifts. And so the church... I think what Paul is trying to do, he's trying to prevent something where the church can be burdened by someone trying to be something they aren't. Possibly some of you have had church experiences like that. I think the ones that I hear about most often is when some person or some group of people tries to exert... Control over the church because they want the church to go a certain way that maybe it's not going at the time. And it can get pretty bad in a church when they start trying to win people over to their side. And they're kind of doing it behind the scenes. And they're not being open and honest. And then secretly people begin to form teams of opposition. And you see, all of that is being conformed by the world's standards. If we want something, and then we go try to take a shortcut to get there, not by God's standards, then that's being conformed by the world's standards, and it just messes things up. So first of all, Paul tells us not to allow ourselves to be conformed to the ways of the world. You know, if we have resentment, if we're trying to compete with others, if, we have, if we're jealous, if we're selfish, that's being conformed to the world's pattern. But if we're transformed by the renewing of our mind according to God's ways, then we get along. We sacrifice for each other. We help each other. We give in when, when it's proper look at ourselves using sober judgment. How has God gifted me? How do other spiritually mature people think I might be gifted for service? What are my motivations? Am I trying to be someone I'm not? Am I trying to impress people and receive praise? Am I allowing my mind to be transformed instead of being conformed? Now, just before we go right into the very last of our passage, I want to say this. What we're doing here is we're talking about serving the Lord as a church family. And we're talking about moving toward a little bit more of an organizational plan that churches just have to do at certain stages. And we're not talking about becoming a Fortune 500 company, are we? And we aren't talking about becoming a multi-site church. You know, if God wants to take us there someday, that's fine. That's not what we're, we're talking about. We're just talking about doing things in a more efficient way so that things get done that really need to be done so that people are helped the most. And I'll say what I've said before here. I even said it a few minutes ago. I believe we have a really good church family here. A great church family. And so many people here want to serve the Lord and they want to walk in his ways. So this thing that we're doing is not complaining about our church. It's just trying to add a little more structure that we think we need at this point in our church. But now we'll finish our passage With a totally fail proof formula that will absolutely guarantee our success if we follow it. And it's verses 9 through 21. We're not gonna look into each detail, but we're just gonna get get the main point of the passage, of this section. It says, Love must be sincere, hate what is evil cling to what is good love must be sincere it means authentic it has to be real it can't be put on can it and the rest of the passage pretty much describes sincere love be devoted to one another in love honor one another above yourselves you know We come together, we enjoy one another, we like one another. Are we devoted to one another? Are we committed to serve one another? Have we made a conscious decision to be devoted to one another? That's what he's asking us to do, to show true love. Verse 11. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Do you ever catch yourself drifting from your spiritual fervor? From your spiritual intensity? It's hard to keep a high level of intensity in any matter, isn't it? Even if it's something you really like to do, it's hard to keep a high level of intensity. Do you ever find yourself running on empty? How about a spiritual retreat you know do it for yourself a little time apart from regular routines i guess that's what the church just gave us didn't was, you like, like, yeah <laughs> a little part of time a little time apart from regular routines time with the lord off by yourself off with your spouse read some scripture Maybe a long passage, you just stay in that passage for a day or two or whatever, however long you got. Even take an inspirational Christian movie that's really ministered to you. A sermon you've heard online that's really a special one. A special prayer time. Something to recharge your spiritual batteries. That's a good thing to do. Let's keep going here. Authentic love. He says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. That's pretty difficult. If we can get there, we're going a long ways, aren't we? Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. So we're entering into other people's mindset, what they're going through into the world. How crucial is that to mourn with people who mourn? We've been doing that recently, haven't we? It's probably one of the most important things that we can do as a church is to come alongside people who are mourning I think that's maybe the most important thing you can do as a church, maybe. It's a time when someone just can't tough it out alone because we weren't made to tough all those things out alone. And someone needs someone to come alongside. And maybe for a period of time, maybe it's not just a one-time visit, maybe it's being with somebody for a period of time and telling them that they can call you anytime. And I know that this is already happening in the church. But we're just being reminded here. Watching out for people, being devoted to them. And then verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do we ever look at others in the church and think, I need to seek harmony with that person. I need to be a friend to that person. These are people that might rub us the wrong way. What if we made the extra effort to be nice or kind or generous for the sake of harmony, for the sake of the gospel? You know, harmony is so important in every area of life, isn't it? You know, to be working together, not just to be with each other, but to be kind of going along the same pathway and agreed with each other. That takes a lot of work. And if we're not really thinking of doing it, we probably won't. There might be that one person that you just happen to match up with. But most of the time, we have to really think of it in order to be in harmony. And so as we look at this, you know, church, working in the church together, we need to really keep in mind harmony. And then it says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. That's that harmony again, isn't it? Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. So I guess when somebody does something wrong, we just have to step back and give them to God. And and his, his discipline will be better than ours. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. People have different interpretations of that last verse. And some, I kind of think it means they'll be convicted. Uh, Some people think it was back when people would come to a neighbor because they didn't have any heat and they carried this thing on their head and they put coals on it and they took it back to their I guess it could be. I kind of think it it leads more to repentance. But it requires a conscious effort, doesn't it? Paul's asking us to be peacemakers. The opposite of revenge takers. comes from allowing our minds to be renewed by being transformed transformed into a whole different way of thinking. And you know, revenge is so automatic in our minds. Well, in my mind, it's automatic. But to seek harmony when there's conflict, that's a transformed mind. And here's a statement that summarizes it. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And isn't that just the complete opposite of what we really want to do in our base desires? And doesn't that strategy sound like it could never really work? <laughs> Overcoming evil with good. You know, when you think about it, you think about going up to a <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Facing evil with Good. Doesn't it just seem like evil is going to be much more powerful? While Christian activity, Christian response, you know, really doesn't seem to do any good. But it's really taking the long road, isn't it? I mean, evil is immediate revenge. It's lashing out. Or even long-term plans of revenge. And it often looks like evil wins but the ways of the Lord are believing what you can't see. It's walking in faith. And God's ways can give much more rewarding and lasting results as God works things out in ways we could not have imagined. And probably most of us have seen situations where evil looks like the winner and good looks like the powerless, weak loser. But I think we have... <clears throat> excuse me, one major example. Christ on the cross. Nothing looked like he won. Everything looked like he totally lost. And it was the greatest suffering that people had to, someone had gone through, the greatest injustice anyone had ever endured, the sinless son of God being sacrificed on the cross for the sin of mankind. But, followed by the greatest victory there ever was. Death was conquered. So, don't take revenge. but Let our minds be transformed. And here we'll end with our first verse again. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. The foundation for our church, God's way for us to work in harmony as a church. Let's pray.